I think everyone needs a coach. I mean, mentorship and guidance have been incredibly crucial in our development as a company. So I thought I'd introduce you to some amazing coaches as part of this special series of Meet My Business. On today's episode of Meet My Business, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to Andy Ziemann. He's a business breakthrough strategist and an accredited member of the trusted business community. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Ethan, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, so uh, the broad topic of discussion today is going to be around what people aren't paying enough attention to in their businesses. Um, and as we'll find out uh, shortly, Andy has a huge amount of experience in this world. And I think you might be a little bit surprised as to the thing that you might not be paying enough attention to. But before we get to that, um, Andy, could you just tell us a little bit about you and kind of how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, gladly. Thank you. Um, yeah, I started my career well, many years ago, my professional career in industrial psychology, eventually registered as a psychologist. Um, psychology basically has two, in an organization, has two elements, two legs. You either are in processes or you are into people. I found myself very quickly and truly being drawn to the process part, mainly because I found if you have a good process, 80% of your people problems in an organization go away. So processes to me became very important. Um, and that's just led one thing to the other. And eventually I left the whole industrial psychology thing behind and I just started focusing on business processes. And I've been doing that for yeah, a couple of years now. Tell me a bit about uh, your company, Andy Zeman Consulting. Where did that start? How did that start? And then what do you do at the moment? I've been practicing this for many years. I just started the company a couple of years ago. So I do two things. Um, I started out in consulting. Basically, consultant being an expert, I tell you what to do, you go and do it. And then later on, I branched out into coaching because not all people like the idea of being told what to do that, that much. Many business people would like to be led so they can find the idea or the solution themselves. So I branched out into that. What I do in terms of businesses is a business has to either grow or it's dying. There are no in-between really. And my job basically is when a business is not growing as fast anymore, I'm the guy who comes in, puts in the processes for the business so that they continue growing. And I make sure these processes are replicatable uh, so that the, I do apologize. My job is the, the processes are replicatable so that the business can continue applying the same processes over and over and over and continue growing and expanding. So um, what I think would be fascinating is if you could give us some examples or maybe let's say one example um, of a business that you've helped and the kinds of processes that you've uh, installed. You don't have to mention who they are, any of that information, but just broadly, where were they at and how did you get them and you know, to, to where they are now? Okay, I think the best example would be when I was in the Middle East when we had a, a fairly sizable company that was practically bankrupt. And I was part of a team that was hired to move into this business. And when we started with the business, we realized very quickly that they had no processes. There was nothing. The salespeople didn't have a process to go out and sell. The people who were supposed to do the, the office support had no real processes to do the support. So we had an enormous amount of conflict between the salespeople and people in the office. So we started looking at what do we need? We need process. A, what does a salesman need to go out and sell? Let's put those things in place. What can and cannot a salesman promise a customer? Do they know? Uh, no, they don't. Okay, so let's put a process in place so that we can train them so they know what they can actually tell the customer and what, what can they promise 
and what can they not promise. At the same time, the support people in the office need to know exactly what do they need to do so that the salesman, the salesman can actually promise real promises and make deliverable promises to the customer. Simple processes sometimes like who is following up with customers for payment. $60 million has not been followed up in the past three years. How do you do that? So we started putting in those processes in place. Once we had the processes in place, we started working on which are the people we have to keep. There were some really tough decisions to make. We had a process for that. And then within three years, we built the company from virtual bankruptcy to a revenue of $100 million. And that's purely by applying the processes that needed to be put in place in the first place. Even for people like me who you know, have a small startup business started a couple of years ago, um, we realized internally that our processes are really will make or break us. And um, it's been quite difficult in some aspects figuring out what kind of process to adopt, especially if you don't actually have um, the background, the necessary background in that exact sphere, like sales, for example. Uh, our sales process has been a work in progress over time. And I think uh, one of the biggest things that we're going to have to do as a company going forward is really refine our sales process and document it quite thoroughly but also make sure, making sure that that sales process actually works. So I, I guess my question to you is, how do you test these processes? Obviously, you're coming in with a huge amount of experience and a lot of the stuff is time-tested, but you come into a company and let's say you need to put together a sales process. How do you know that that is actually going to work? There are tried and tested processes in the sales world that do work. Again, many salespeople built uh, have created this reputation that salespeople are liars. Let's be let's be frank and honest. Um, so many of these processes have been morphed to the nth degree where they become a joke. But there are real processes that you can replicate, that you can put into place and just use over and over again. A good example is: Do you follow up with customers once you have made a contact or a lead? How many times do you follow up? Do you track how many times do you close a sale on the first contact, or how many follow-ups does it take? To, con to close the sale. How many times, how regularly do we follow up? Once a week, once a month? Those kind of processes are quite crucial. So we look for the obvious first. What do we need? What do we have? If there are no metrics, then it becomes a bit more difficult because then we basically do what we call a brownfield implementation. You scrap whatever is there and you start from scratch and you put in things that do work. A very simple example is do yourself as people use the script when they do cold calling. If they don't, that is a problem because there are scripts that do work. And I'm not meaning uh, fantasy, uh, dishonest scripts, but there are certain processes in a script that do work. So you need to implement those for a company. If I can give you a quick example, some years ago where we had a, I was invited into a, a warehouse and importing warehouse company, and they had serious conflict between salespeople and backend people, the same as we had in the Middle East. And where do we, Entered the company when I got in there, we realized again there were no processes because the salespeople would make promises and then expect the backend people to deliver, which they could not do. So what we needed to do then is get the conflict out, create the processes first between the salesman and the backend. There's no conflict. The two side effects that was in this case quite pronounced is that all the conflict went away. Number one, and then secondly, people people's performance ratings in the company started going up. They got better performance ratings. Why? A, I spend less time as an employee conflicting or in conflict, fighting with my colleagues. 
and fighting about things. It should really not be a fight at all. And B, I'm more efficient because I can do the same thing the same way and everybody does it the same way. So we know where we are at all times. And thirdly, the company started growing because the salespeople could make honest promises to the customers and the salespeople knew what they could expect. And they also spent more time in the field. So once you start with basic processes between backend and sales, I think you're halfway there. Then you just need to fill in the details and polish your armor, basically. I think one of the things that happens also in in the modern age is that there's so many tools out there, you know, CRMs and all different kinds of ways to track. And I think companies, especially small business owners, sometimes hyper-focus in on a tool instead of maybe sometimes taking a step back first and figuring out what's the broad process and then implementing. Because I know we, for example, in the past would have this spreadsheet that someone developed and this CRM and all these things, but realistically, we hadn't actually taken a step back and figured out what's the real process yet. Got a little bit too focused in on the actual nuts and bolts, uh, but didn't take that you know initial step. From what I can understand is that people like you, uh, with your experience, you can first help people figure out the broader strategy and then focus in, focus in, focus in until you get to those day-to-day kind of things where we're actually talking about, okay, physically, once you're done with a call, what do you do? And I wonder what advice do you have with companies who perhaps are maybe a little overwhelmed uh, with figuring out these processes and might be f- focusing on the wrong stuff? Oh, this is, oh, you're not alone in that. We were not alone in that. There are many small companies in that kind of boat. And I always equate it to buying a new car. If you have a very specific budget and you need to buy a vehicle, what do you really need? Let's say you need to buy a company car. Do I want a van or a pickup? Now, what do I need? So you go back to your needs. If you're... CRM doesn't fulfill your needs, you're wasting money. It needs to do everything you want and then a bit more. So you have to look at what do I need in, let's say, pickup? Do I need the loading space or do I need a covered area? Now, that's two crucial questions. So for companies, what do I need? I always say start on a spreadsheet, map it out on a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets for the visual effect that it creates when you start this process. What do I really need? Then you have to rank order those needs what are most important to me and what are absolutely not really important to me, then you can go and find a CRM that actually fits that description. All right, so we're going to move on to the broader main discussion of today's episode. Um, and when Andy and I had our pre-chat, uh, we got to the topic of what people aren't paying enough attention to in their business. Um, so Andy, what do, you be- what do you believe is the one thing people aren't actually paying enough attention to? Well, the main thing, probably it's the one most important thing people are not paying enough attention to is their their uniqueness. A business has to be absolutely unique in its market. Otherwise, why would people buy from you? Uniqueness gives people a reason to buy from you. If I could give an example, there's a very well-known Japanese car manufacturer that is known for its reliability. And we all know who that is. Their cars do not break. And that is there what we call a unique market um, identity. If you see the brand, you immediately know why you want this brand. It's a German manufacturer who promises you enjoyment every time you get behind the wheel. Now for them, I would assume the enjoyment is the most important thing. The reliability probably obviously there, but not as important. So when you see that brand, you know why I am buying into this brand. And if you don't have that, what do you offer a customer? Well, as a business, what can you offer a customer if you don't have a uniqueness? 
say, for example, you're in a crowded industry, especially now with uh, post-COVID, a lot of people moving to remote work, a lot more people working online. You realize there's a lot more people out there doing a similar thing to what you do. So how do you differentiate yourself and demonstrate, figure out that you need this first and then perhaps even demonstrate it? Let's just split between two things. If you're in a price-sensitive market, then you're kind of in trouble because there's no way you can differentiate yourself. If you look at the big cell phone service providers, the only differentiation they have is color. Bright yellow, bright red, bright blue, that's it. The rest is price. They cannot, I mean, the bottom has dropped out of the market. Handsets have become so stupidly expensive that few people buy the, the, the flagships anymore. So they are quite in trouble and the, the bottom line is always under pressure. If you're not in that market, you're in a good space. So the first thing you do is what you check what your competition is doing because that's what you don't want to do. Obviously, you, you want to be different from the competition. The second thing you do is you look at what is my competition doing but not advertising. Now, here's a big, um, this is a big thing that many people miss. In the 1980s, there was a vehicle rental company that had this advertisement where people would say, we go this much further. And they would show thumb and forefinger this much further. And then they would show the guy who services the car and he would have a, a, a kind of uh, shifting spanner that says, I go this much further. Everyone goes this much further for the, for the customer. However, the reality is that every single vehicle rental company in that market went that extra mile for their customer. But one company decided we advertise this. So in other words, they got a step ahead of their competition while advertising something everybody's doing, but no one is talking about. Thirdly, you need to see what your competition is not doing that what they should be doing. Now, when some years ago, when I decided to change banks, I started walking around from literally from branch to branch where at the town I lived, we had a street with a lot of branches right next to each other. And uh, I knew I wanted to be in the bank. When I get there, I want friendly and quick service. That's all I want from the bank. Most of the stuff is online. Anyway, I want, when I have to go into the bank, a quick and easy and enjoyable process. So bank after bank, I picked the bank. When I walked in, this is what I need within five minutes hide all the information, all the paperwork, everything done, this is it. That's what I need. Okay, so they were doing for me what their competition was not doing. And that was then their, their proposition. So you need to look at what the competition is not doing and then do that. When banking apps came out, there's one bank whose app has won several awards already. Now, everybody's doing an app. What am I doing better? I'm doing a great app. Okay, so it's an award-winning app. My competition is just building an app I'm building an award-winning app, so I'm doing it better. And then lastly, two things. You need to know what you enjoy doing and what you are very, very good at. These two things usually go hand in hand because we tend to be good at what we enjoy and we enjoy doing what we're good at. And because we do it more and more, we build more and more experience. So what are you really, really good at in your industry? And you need to build from that. Where there's an overlap between these five areas, that's where you put your unique market identity. I'd love to know how you have done this for yourself, having moved into your own company over the last few years, building up your own brand. What makes you specifically unique and how are you busy demonstrating that uh, with your company? Okay, how am I unique is simply, I cut through the fluff. I'm a very direct person. Uh, I'm probably my dad's heritage, but I'm, I'm very, di very direct. So you can see my, my logo is a 
a artistic ar a version of an arch here. It's very focused. What do I need to do? I need to put this arrow into that dot in the center of the target over there. That's what I need to do. So what I do is simply cut through the fluff. There's a lot of excuses why we can't do it. This is what we need to do. Let's find a way to do it. That's what makes me unique. How I advertise it is simply through my processes. I can guarantee my work. If my clients do not get at least double in their pockets what they pay me, then they get their money back from me. You need to get 100% ROI for my work. Now, there are very, very few, if any, people in my industry who actually can do this. Because I work with numbers, I will direct, and I cut through the fluff. There's no promises made of it will be better. It will be so much better. It will be so much percentage better. It will be so much money better. I can make that promise because I have the tools, because I have the ability to do the processes and to see through the fluff and cut straight to the chase. And that's how I make myself unique. I can guarantee and I cut through the chase very quickly. So it seems like what you're saying is in order to uh, differentiate yourself, and this might be a very obvious realization, but I think it's an important one. You really have to know yourself quite deeply first. What makes you unique, the fact that you're direct cut through the fluff can make these guarantees. You can only get to that point once you've really proven this to yourself first. I, I feel like there's a huge amount of soul searching that entrepreneurs and business owners need to do to really understand themselves first and then with all the analysis and comparison that you mentioned as well, checking out uh, competitors, checking out other companies, and but ultimately knowing this is who I am and I'm going to be putting this out to the public for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. I had the fortunate background or um, I am fortunate enough to have been in industrial psychology and I spent a lot of time in psychometric exercise doing it on others and then doing it on myself. So I knew from an academic and a numbers perspective, again, who I was, what I like. But you're absolutely right. You need to find yourself. Who are you? What do you like doing? Especially in business, you need to like doing what you're doing. Uh, the great Larry King said, I don't work at all. I've never worked a day in my life. Because what did Larry King do? He said, I add chats with people. That's what I enjoy. I enjoy the discussion. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's easy. But I like this discussion that we're having. We're having a good chat. So he felt that he never worked. And I think Larry King's probably the, well, in the days before podcast, he was probably the guy to have an interview with in in, in years gone by. So the king of the king of the king of interviewers, I would suppose, but that's what you need to do. And I start with what do you really like doing? And then opposite that with what do you really dislike doing? As an example, I like the number stuff and the process stuff. But I also, as a by nature of what I did, I used to uh, negotiate for companies to some extent. And I became fairly skilled at negotiation. But I hate negotiation. It is the most horrible, stressful thing for me. Because I never know what the other person is thinking. You can never be completely open with that person. So it's very hard. It's always a game to be played. And I find that very stressful. So even though I was, let's call it reasonably good at that, I hated that. So I avoid that at all costs at this point. So you need to start with what do I like a lot? What do I dislike a lot? And then work from there to a point where this is what I would like to do. And this will be what I'm unique, uniquely good at. To wrap up, what is the next step that a business owner should take who is maybe listening to this and thinking, I haven't differentiated myself enough. I'm not explaining my uniqueness yet. What is the very next step you think they should be taking? Well, find a way to be unique, even if it is 
in just your presentation of your business. At least that's a start. It might not be the end, but at least that's a start. A good example of this is Elton John the singer. When he started out his career, Elton John is very successful. That's all. I think we can all agree on that. Elton John is very successful. But when he started out, he was told, mate, mm-mm, you ain't got what it takes. You need to do something really spectacular to stand out. And he became this incredibly flashy dresser with all these weird costumes on stage. It started his, his breaking out and it started his career. And in the end, he wasn't that flamboyant anymore because it wasn't necessary. But at least find a way to differentiate yourself somehow. Even if it's only in a, in a, in a great logo or something, just find a way to become unique. Yeah, otherwise you just get lost in the crowd. And I think that's, that's the worst thing that could happen is you just become one of the masses instead of standing out. Andy, so if somebody would like to contact you, perhaps work with you, how do they do so? Well, they can always contact me um, on andy at andyzeman.com or they could just visit my website, andyzeman.com. There are several areas where they can contact me on the website as well. So I'm free to any email. I will always reply within 12 hours. If they want to know something, just a question, feel free. Anyone can free to just drop mail. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast but don't really know where to start, go to our website, baird.media. That's B-A-I-R-D dot media. You can find the book, Become a Podmaster, everything you need to know to master the art of podcasting. And you can also sign up to one of our mentorship programs where we help you figure out, develop, and produce your show from start to finish.